Hello, my friends. My sweet friends. My friends who are always there for me no matter what. Who would always help me in my time of need. My kind, lovely friends. I'm not safe here. My stronghold is no longer safe. He was here. I know it. I know it was him, and I know that he was here. You may be thinking, oh, she's paranoid, she's done this before, but I know that he was here, and it was while I was out. Someone, perhaps him, perhaps not, dropped me off gifts before, dropped off a package of treats at my doorstep, a mirror among them, but this time I know that someone was inside my home. The locks didn't hold. The many locks failed me, but perhaps locks never worked with him in the first place. I don't understand him, you see. I speak of him frequently, and I have seen him infrequently over the course of my long life, but I have never truly met him. Last night, you see, I came home just before dawn. I had quite the night. I saw you, I saw your nightlife, I saw the way you scream in the moonlight. Beautiful and primal and strange. I have been feeling more and more bold. More and more a part of this world, if not a dark and sinister part of it. But I belong. Just as the snake belongs in the jungle, just as the shark belongs in the sea. I belong with you, my dear friends. I have been taking that for granted lately, and I intend to celebrate it more and more. But I digress. I came home just before dawn, and remember that mirror that was gifted to me. It hangs prominently on a wall in my horrible home, surrounded by images and texts of people, creatures, and characters from my past. I am the centerpiece. My face is the magnum opus. And as I returned home to peruse in the mirror the renewed brightness in my black eyes, the new flush of life in my cheeks, the strange elegance of my irregular, sharp teeth, I was stopped by a horrific sight. A handprint, clear as day, in the center of the mirror, deliberately placed. I pressed my hand against it, hoping it was my own. No. Similar, though, long, thin fingers, longer than a human's, like mine, but so much larger. I've only seen one other creature in over a thousand years with a hand like mine. All right, you thing. I know that you're listening. You must be if you've taken such an interest in me once more for the first time in over a hundred years. I know you have. Of course you have, I'm fascinating, but I speak directly to you as you listen from whatever hovel you sit in, grinning. I understand. I understand you can come here whenever you want. I understand your horrible message. But why? Why do you not simply meet with me and speak? What must I do to win an audience? What did I do to earn this non-relationship with such a monster? I am your only progeny, am I not? Whatever I am, I know this is the case. 
Surely you need me as much as I need you. Just show yourself, you foul, cruel insect. <sighs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. But you have to understand, you have to understand, if ever you were human once as I was, you have to understand this maddening solitude, this horrible loneliness. What am I saying? You were never human. You were always a thing. No, not a thing. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Uh... I don't have the word. I don't dare utter an incorrect word, either. All the words that language has in stock are overly simplistic and far too narrow. They mean far too little, far too little to apply to you. And so now, my friends, my lovely and kind friends, I sit at home, and I stare at the door, and I wait. I occasionally glance in the mirror at the handprint. I am happy with the reflection in it, with my ghastly gaunt face and my ghoulish black eyes and my matted dark hair and my lovely nasty teeth. I am happy with what sits in my basement home. I simply wish someone was here to see it and offer me an explanation for everything. You must come back. You must come back to me, my horrific sweetheart. I wait. Until I can go out again tomorrow night and forget about you for a while. A story. A story while we wait. A locked door. A story of a locked door. Years and years and years ago, an abbess worked in a peaceful convent that was secluded and isolated, high in the mountains, far from any town or village or city. Perhaps even country. Perhaps once a year or so they would receive a visit from the bishop or from a new nun and her family. But this was very rare. And it was planned long in advance and heralded by several letters back and forth. The abbess was an older woman and had seen many things in her life. She was a true believer and a faithful servant of God, and she was very clever. A learned woman. She had read every book in their vast library, written several of them herself, and she approached most things with a scholarly, critical mind. The sisters trusted her wisdom and looked to her for guidance, and she provided it and was happy to. It was a very silent, still, and serene place. Voices remained just a little above a whisper when speaking, just under one's breath when praying, and no louder than a sigh when singing. Until she came. A new nun coming to the convent. A new convert, for you see, though she was young still, she was a widow. Her family thought it inappropriate for her to wed again, and she had no desire to. She had no real desire to become a nun either, but she did not fight it. 
The day she arrived was gray and cold, dark and foreboding. As was the look in her eyes, gray as the sky, as she walked up to the old stone building, her very few possessions she was allowed to bring with her in her hands. Welcome, my child, the abbess said and embraced the young woman. Through service and prayer we shall ease your suffering. The young woman barely looked up, her eyes red and swollen from weeping. Her jaw was set and there was something of a stern determination in her face. Her parents kissed her goodbye and rode away into the horizon. I'll show you to your quarters, the kind abbess invited. The girl came to afternoon mass, though she did not move her lips to pray, did not raise her voice to sing. She attended dinner, though she barely ate, and the next day was no different than the first. She went everywhere she was meant to, did every task she was asked, but she did not speak. She barely raised those gray eyes to look at any of her new sisters, those gray eyes that managed to be furious in their grief, outraged at their own tragedy, those gray eyes that were prematurely surrounded by lines carved by sadness, heavy with mourning. She had known love, true and passionate, and she had lost it in a terrible, unshareable way. And so her eyes held secrets the other nuns could not begin to fathom. Even the wise old abbess had no knowledge of such pain, such sacrifice. And yet there was a cruelty, a chaotic rage there as well. A rage that caused her to spurn gentleness and sympathy, love and care from any of these kind, gentle women around her. The abbess could not help but notice that the new arrival, when she had free time to herself, would spend it for hours upon hours in the library. She would enter and offer to help her find a book, but the girl would scramble away and scoop up arms full of books, retreating to her quarters not letting the abbess see what she was studying. She offered to teach her anything she might like, to show her books in hidden, forgotten sections, but the girl merely muttered an excuse and scurried away. And the abbess could not help but wonder what was this girl reading that she didn't want to share. That night, after another meal full of silence from the new arrival and the abbess, seated at the head of the table as always, and gentle, quiet conversations occurring around them. The abbess went about her evening rituals. The other sisters had gone to their rooms after their evening prayers were said, and the wise woman remained downstairs to close up for the night. Lock the front door with a key, pull the metal bar aside and threw the rings to bolt it shut from the inside, sweep the front halls clean, extinguish the candles, draw the curtains. She took one candelabra and began to head up the stairs. Was that the door? She stood perfectly still, waiting for another knock. It did not come. Did you lock the door? She thought to herself. She slowly descended the stairs and headed to the door, bringing the candelabra close. 
locked with a key, the metal deadbolt pulled through. It was locked. Hello? She said loudly enough to be heard on the other side of the door. No answer. Must have been the wind. Must have been my imagination. She went up to her bedroom and she slept, albeit a little uneasily. The next morning she descended to breakfast. Abbas, did you lose your key last night? A sister asked her. No, she replied. I locked the door. I have the key with me now, as I do every night. Oh, the sister said sheepishly, I must have been mistaken. The wise woman puzzled this over breakfast. She finished quickly and went to the door and found that, indeed, though the deadbolt was still pushed through and secured, the doorknob moved freely and was not locked. Strange, she thought. I shall be more careful tonight. Another day passed, and the strange new girl spent hours again in the library. Another armful of books was taken from it to her quarters. Fair enough, let the girl read on her own, then, the abbess thought. Dinner. Then closing up for the night. Lock the front door with a key. Double-check that it is truly locked. Pull the metal bar aside and through the rings to bolt it shut from the inside. Pull on it twice to ensure it's in place. Sweep the front halls clean. Extinguish the candles. Draw the curtains. She went to sleep, confident in the knowledge that she had done her duty. She woke up in the morning, descending once more to have breakfast. The same sheepish nun looked at her from across the table after they said grace. Abbess, she started, clearing her throat. <laughs> if you like, I can take the responsibility of closing up down here in the evenings. The old woman raised an eyebrow at her. And why would that be necessary, my child? The nun shook her head and merely whispered an apology going back to her porridge. The abbess rose from her seat without having finished her meal and went to the front door. The deadbolt had not been pulled and secured. She reached for the doorknob and gave it a pull. It was not locked. Had it been unlocked all night? She stormed into the dining hall, and in a voice louder than one she had used in a long, long time, she said to every woman there, I understand that being here is at times challenging especially for those of us who are new and perhaps not comfortable here yet, she said, turning her glance to the young, grey-eyed widow who did not flinch. But mark this. I will not tolerate anyone leaving this building after the sun is set. I am responsible for each and every one of you and your safety. And if you take issue with this for any reason— she suddenly realized how loudly she had been speaking and took a moment to compose herself. She stood a little straighter, trembled a little less. You may speak to me at any time. I am always here. And she sat and returned to her meal. 
which all of the sisters concluded in complete silence today. As the nuns went about their tasks and chores for the day, the abbess visited each of their rooms to give a quick blessing and perform a brief routine inspection, ensure that nothing untoward was occurring. Once in a while she'd find smuggled silks or jewellery, perhaps wine or sweets. This was no longer a regular occurrence, but the random inspections were largely responsible for that. She entered the new girl's room and performed a quick blessing, gave a quick glance around the room. Nothing unusual. A very substantial pile of books, at least twenty, from the library. Not forbidden, reading, in fact, was encouraged. She ducked down to see under the bed. Strange. Two burnt candles, almost completely used. Not regular bedside candles. These ones were red. From the chapel downstairs, she recognized them. And a small box. She couldn't help herself. She opened it. Staring back at her from the inside of the box was a portrait of a man. Handsome, dark, and soulful. He had a long, proud face and a long mane of dark hair pulled neatly back. On the back of the portrait, the words were written, Let no force in heaven, hell, earth, or anywhere in between part us. A signature. Her husband. Poor thing. And something else was in the box. It was a lock of black hair tied with a red ribbon. The abbess dropped the box in surprise. Foolish. She thought, it is a token, nothing more. She quickly closed the box and put it back where she found it. Dinner passed uneventfully. The abbess, perhaps somewhat apologetically, went to the sheepish and helpful nun from breakfast and gently requested that she help her close for the night. Perhaps they might get to the bottom of who has been sneaking out nightly. Together they went through each task out loud and with the other looking on. Lock the front door with a key, pull the metal bar aside and threw the rings to bolted shut from the inside. The younger nun pulled and shook the door to ensure it couldn't open. Sweep the front halls clean, extinguish the candles, draw the curtains. It was later than usual, but they went to bed, confident in the security of the place. The abbess even left her door open as she slept, so that she might hear if anyone crept outside when they weren't meant to. She was a light sleeper. Even lighter these days. But she slept through the night. And in the morning she rushed down to the front door, expecting it to be soundly locked. But she froze in place as she saw it. The door wide open, leaves leaving a track inside, as they had been blowing in all night long, a bird that had been let in. The door was open for who knows how long. She slammed it shut, bolted it, locked it. The nuns stood in a fearful crowd in the front hall, not daring to enter the dining hall. Who left? Who left last night? 
no one answered. And she knew in her heart that no one had. She had no breakfast that day. She prayed in the chapel for an answer. She spoke with several of her sisters, hoping to find some detail she was missing, anything. Finally, it occurred to her. The library. She ran inside, heading straight to the section she dreaded most. Demons, spirits, ghosts, curses. It was the only possibility she hadn't thought of yet because her scientific, critical mind would not let her. But she was beginning to suspect that the answer was not scientific and critical. She went to that dark, dusty section of the library that was so rarely visited. And do you know what she found? Nothing. All of the books she meant to take out and pore over. All of the ones with dark secrets. Tales of trickster spirits. Details of mischievous demons and how to protect oneself from them. All of these. They were gone. No, they weren't. She knew exactly where they were. She found the new grey-eyed nun in the garden. What have you been doing, she demanded. Why have you been reading about occult practices and spells? What use could you have of the knowledge of such dark, ancient things? The girl muttered that she had no idea what the abbess was talking about. The abbess was almost frantic as she grabbed the girl by the shoulders. I will not let you invite evil into my convent. I know you hate it here. I know you have no respect for what we do, but I will not let you selfishly inflict your misery on all of us. And the girl looked up at her with red, wet eyes, and had no answer. Only tears. She only whispered, I would never. The abbess was suddenly ashamed. Forgive me, my child, she whispered, and she ran back inside. Dinner, her nighttime ritual. She locked and deadbolted the door. She didn't bother sweeping, extinguishing the lights, or drawing the curtains. Instead, she took up a post in the chair facing the front door, where she would remain all night. No matter how, the sisters pleaded with her to get some rest. Let a younger nun stand watch. She refused. She was strong. She would keep watch. Hours and hours passed. Silence throughout the place. Until, deep, deep in the middle of the night. Or was it the very early black hours of the morning? She heard something outside. Soft, almost unnoticeable, but unmistakable. Footsteps on the dead leaves. She sat up straight as an arrow and didn't move. barely breathed. Listening carefully, and she saw him, a figure outside a window. With the curtains not drawn, she saw the silhouette of a man, and as she saw him, a candle close by went out. 
She kept her eyes on him, though she could see him less clearly. He began to walk. He passed another window. Another candle went out. He walked past another window, extinguished another candle. Soon she sat in complete darkness. She was frozen in place. She heard the doorknob beginning to turn. The lock snapped out of place. She watched in horror as the metal deadbolt began to slide out of the rings that locked it in place, as if of their own will. Get up, she tried to tell herself. Get up and lock the door. But fear wouldn't let her. And to her horror, the doorknob turned once more, and the door pulled itself wide open. He stood there in the moonlight. With all of the candles blown out, she still couldn't see his face. His long, dark hair was matted and messy. His long face was cocked to the side as he breathed heavily and seemed to look for something. She felt his eyes land on her, and she felt a terrible chill down her spine. Show yourself, demon, she hissed. But then she heard a calm voice behind her on the stairs. He is no demon. It was the grey-eyed girl. She was out of her nun's habit and in the clothes she arrived in. She held a candle and she descended the stairs slowly. She barely even glanced at the abbess as she walked straight up to the dark, shadowed man. She briefly held the candle up to his face. His eyes squinted in the light and he appeared confused, disoriented. Covered in dirt he was, but she was right. This was no demon. This was the man from the portrait. The girl gently touched his face and whispered, No force in heaven, hell, earth, or anywhere in between. He whispered in a raspy, hoarse voice, as his eyes lit up with recognition and revelation. She immediately discarded the candle and embraced her love in the shadows. They held each other for a long, long time, in eternity to the abbess who watched on with wide eyes and a rapidly beating heart. When they finally parted, they held hands and began to leave. But as they almost crossed the threshold, she turned to the abbess and nodded her head. Thank you for your kindness. And she turned and left. Not without saying, as they headed through the door and down the front path. And lock your door at night. There is nothing so frightening as an unlocked door. For you see, anyone could be on the other side. Most likely there is no one. But you never really know, do you? I stare at my locked door. I'm almost tempted to open it and check. Just check that no one is there. Because I'm sure there isn't. 
But what if I was wrong? Stay with me, my friend. Get me through this night. Hey guys, woo. This is Kristen Zaza, your writer and host, thanking you so much for joining me for another episode of On a Dark Cold Night. This one was a tough one for me. I think I gave myself nightmares. I'm going to confess something to you. I have had recurring nightmares about unlocked doors my whole life. So for me, this is the scariest episode I've done so far. Plus, I finished writing it at around 4.30 a.m., so of course I had to give it a happy ending. But I hope I didn't scare you as much as I scared myself, I guess. So, a few things. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to me chat about punk rock, the play that I've been in for the last month. This is the last time I'll do so since we close this week. It has been an incredible emotional experience and a really great run with a bunch of really amazing people. Um, If you're in Toronto this week and want to catch us before we close on the 14th, visit crowstheatre.com for tickets or learn more at howlandcompanytheatre.com. Also a note about Radio Public. So Radio Public is this awesome podcast app. I belong to their paid listens program, so... If you are able to get the app, or if you have it already, it would be a huge help if you could listen to the show there. It's free for you to use, and each listen helps me towards earning some money for this podcast. It's a really great thing that benefits everyone, so I'd love it if that was a possibility. And hey, if you want to help out financially in a more direct way, I've got a Patreon page. Right now there's not much to it, but if you're interested in donating monthly and have some ideas of what you would like to see on your patron feed, hey, just let me know. Uh, You can email me at darkcoldnightpodcast at gmail.com. My Patreon page, if you'd like to learn more or contribute a monthly amount, no matter how big or how small, is www.patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Most importantly, last but not least, word of mouth. If you like the show, please follow us on Twitter at adarkcoldnight. Like and follow us on Facebook. Follow on Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast. Tell a friend. Ask me any questions. Say hello. Uh, drop us a rating and or a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Podknife.com, Facebook, or wherever you can rate and review podcasts. It would really mean the world to me. Uh, thanks so much, guys. It's been a really so busy time, but committing to this podcast has been a great anchor for me. And more importantly, I'm so happy to hear that the show is resonating with listeners. When I hear that someone was spooked or relaxed or that it helped someone fall asleep, that makes me feel amazing. Uh, (laughs) Sleep is such an elusive, troubling thing for me. I wanted to create something that could calm you right down or take your mind somewhere else for a bit. So if I've done anything like that, I'm really pleased. Have a wonderful night. Thanks again.